jealous for me Love's like a hurricane, I am a tree Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us oh oh how he loves us how he loves us so and oh how he loves us so oh how he loves us how he loves us so Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. We are his portion and he is our prize drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes if grace is an ocean we're all sinking so heaven eats earth like an unforeseen kiss and my heart turns violently inside of my chest and i don't have time to maintain these regrets when i think about the way that he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves yeah he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves us oh how 
Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry. It is my prayer that both this message and music will be a blessing to you. I appreciate you tuning in tonight, and I trust that you'll invite others to join us. Thank you very much. Now would you please hear the reading of God's Word. It comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. And I'll be reading the first six verses. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at the hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a moment of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Jesus became angry. There are several instances of this in the Scripture lesson. For instance, in our text, what angered Jesus was the Pharisees' distorted way of looking at things. These Pharisees were very interested in their own well-being and not the well-being and the needs of others. For instance, there was a man with a withered hand right there before him. This man had great need, but it seemed to make no difference. They were interested in preserving the tradition. And at this, Jesus blazed with anger. And then, on another occasion, Jesus went into the temple. As Jeremiah said, this temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations. But it didn't happen in this temple. For you see, pandemonium and clamor was everywhere with buyers and sellers and animals. And this temple, as Jeremiah said, had become a den of robbers. Consequently, people were not able to find the Lord. Jesus became very angry at all of this. And then he did one of the most shocking things in his entire ministry. You remember, he picked up a whip. He overturned the tables. And he chased the money changers, the sellers and the buyers and the animals, out. It was a bad time for everybody. But witnessing this atrocity, Jesus became extremely anger. As I said, he blazed with anger because people were being robbed of their chance to meet God. And then there was another time when Jesus became angry. You remember his misguided friends kept the children from coming to him to receive his blessing. He became extremely angry about that. He said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He became very concerned about that, and he said it would be better for one to have 
something tied around a person's neck and be cast into the sea than to lead one little child astray. Now, what are we to make of these outbursts of an angry Christ? Was Jesus less divine in his anger than he was when he was hanging on the cross? At any rate, if these expressions of Jesus are any indication of the character of God, then we have to rethink our feeling and position on anger. Paul was writing to the Ephesians, and he said, Be angry, but do not sin. In other words, be angry, but be constructive. First of all, anger is constructive when we recognize it as a normal part of life. A little boy had been angry in a terrible outburst, and so he ended his prayer this way. He said, Lord, please take away my temper, and while you're at it, take away the temper of my mother as well. But if we lose our temper, we'll be less than God intended us to be. God gave us a temper. Consequently, he must have thought it had value. In an engaging essay, Judith Virus shared some interviews she had with children about what is a good mother like. Notice before this is over, she said that a child never expected a mother not to be angry. But here's what some of the children thought about this. For instance, Ted said she has to or she'll faint from holding it in, talking about her anger. But it's best to remember, said Randy, that when she starts to act real weird, you have to look scared and serious. Don't giggle. When mommies are mad, they get madder when you giggle. But note that that researcher said not a single child thought that a mother should never be angry. You see, these children understood that anger is a normal part of life, and this should be very comforting to parents who have problems from time to time with their frustrations. Now, the Christian religion does not expect that we will never get angry. Of course we will. Indeed, if we have a distorted concept of Christianity that forbids anger, we are in for real trouble. As the physician Dr. Carl Menninger once said, that the person who only gets mad and never expresses it outwardly will only get mad inwardly and will vent on himself. Consequently, that person will be in for real trouble. And that phrase we use, I'm really burning up, will in fact be a descriptive reality of our own lives and our minds and our attitudes. So we need to understand that it's perfectly all right to have a temper and to be angry. But our prayer should be, Lord, if I get angry, please don't let it be destructive. A man went into a store and asked for a cigarette, and the lady behind the counter said, king size or regular? He said, king size. She said, filter or plain? He said, plain. And then she went over and she said, flip top or crush proof? Menthol or mint? Cash or charge? In an annoying way, the man said, just forget it. While we've been talking about this, I've whipped the habit. Then it was that Dr. Paul Turnier, the great Swiss physician, and counselor said, the greatest obstacle to acceptance is anger that has been repressed because one has not dared to give expression to it. Turnier was saying that a person needs to own his or her anger. That way, they know it's a normal part of life. And then secondly, anger is constructive when it is controlled. I want you to use your imagination for a minute. I want you to take a quiz on how you control or handle your anger. Here's the situation. You and your spouse 
or a friend are going out for a meal tonight. You've been planning this all week. You're excited about the meal because you want to have a Mexican dinner. You're excited about burritos or enchiladas or fajitas, things like that. You really enjoy that kind of meal, and you're looking forward to it. As a matter of fact, you didn't eat much lunch because you wanted to save room for all of that good Mexican food. So you pick up your spouse or friend, and on the way, you decide to be nice. You say, well, where should we eat tonight? And your friend says, well, I've been looking forward to Chinese. I'm just really excited about having some Chinese food tonight. Well, the mere, the mere thought of Chinese makes you gag. You just don't care for Chinese food. So you try to help your friend realize you like the hot sauce of Mexican food. But then you see a pained look on your friend's face. So at that point, you have a decision to make. You realize that your relationship is coming to an end. So how do you handle conflict, or how do you resolve this particular situation? Here are your choices. A, go to the Mexican restaurant because you're driving and enjoy the meal while your partner suffers. B, be a nice person and, like, and, and take your partner to a Chinese restaurant. Force down the food and suck the entire meal. C, drop off your partner at the nearest corner and eat Mexican by yourself. D, call a pastor, set up a counseling opportunity, and have the pastor help you decide, making sure you choose a pastor that likes Mexican food. E, go home and eat leftovers in silence and never speak to your friend or spouse again. Now, the surface of this conflict seems to be very little and not too important. But let me tell you, little conflicts can turn into big conflicts, and they cause all kinds of problems. When I was growing up, I had a pinto mayor. Her name was Dixie. Dixie was 10 years old. She and I really liked each other. I would ride, and the horse seemed to enjoy it. Well, one day we were in the backyard, and all of a sudden, this horse got spooked and started running toward the pasture. I lost control. The horse was leading us right into this barbed wire fence. And so there was nothing I could do but sit there. Thank God it only affected my lip for a while. The horse was fine. But the problem started when I lost control. When I lost control, disaster occurred. Quite often, when our anger is so real and vivid, we lose control. And that becomes a disaster for us and everybody else around us. So we need to be sure that we understand that frequently our anger is a result of immaturity. Now, we've all seen a child throw a temper tantrum, but some of us have come to understand that that temper tantrum may be a normal, necessary part of this child or baby's life. But let me tell you something. An immature adult can be a tragic sight, to say the least. When you see an immature adult, you've got a real problem. For instance, I read about a car that was possessed by a company of a man in Florida. He lost his temper. He went and got an AK-47, and he went back to that company, and he started shooting. And before long, many of those people in that company were dead, even before he finally killed himself. And this is not a lone case. Things like this are happening all over. Two million people are affected by crime every year because of anger. A half a million divorces occur because of anger. And what about the category of child-battered children? 
we have that problem, and then their spouse battered children. And what about our intimidating measures out on the expressway? We're traveling along, and all of a sudden somebody comes up, and they cut in front of us, and then the race is on, or the cursing starts. You know, driving down an expressway is wonderful as long as that car is under control. But when we lose control, that car becomes destruction or death in its path. It's a horrible thing to see when we lose control of the situation. A cartoon showed a husband and wife. They were in a large house. It was pretty obvious they'd had an argument. They were very sullen with one another. Finally, the wife said, okay, okay, you want a hot breakfast? Then she said, set fire to your cornflakes. So you can see how anger spins out of control. And then there was a United Methodist minister named Harry Peeler. He said that I want you to remember one thing out of this speech, and that is that anger is steam. When steam is under control, it does good things. But when steam is out of control, there is a problem. So we need to understand that anger is constructive when it's under control. And then thirdly, anger is constructive when its motivation is unselfish. Jesus never got angry over something done to him. He got angry over things that were done to other people. We're talking about wrongs that were done to other people. He got angry because of that. He didn't hate the Pharisees, but he worried about their hard-heartedness toward their neighbors. So he got angry with them. You know, a lot of times our anger simply is a result of a personal slight that we feel. Somebody ignores us. Somebody disagrees with us. Somebody cuts in front of us on the expressway or causes some other kind of problems like that. As a boy, Roland Haynes, the tenor, said he heard a, an old preacher. He preached on Christ before Pilate. He contrasted two kinds of power. He said Christ was standing before Pilate. Pilate was getting annoyed. He said, why don't you answer me? Don't you know I have power? And then the old preacher said, no matter how mad the crowd got, Christ never said a mumbling word, not a mumbling word. Columnist Sidney Harris was walking with a friend one day. The friend went over to get a newspaper from a newsstand. As he was getting the newspaper, he was very cheerful. He said hello to the fellow behind the newsstand. The fellow didn't say anything back. He just shoved the paper to him, and the friend still wished him a happy day and walked away. The columnist said, does he treat you that way every day? He said, yes. He said, are you always nice? He said, yes. Well, why are you always nice when he treats you so bad? He said, because I don't want somebody else deciding how I'm going to act. I don't want somebody else deciding how I'm going to act. When we get mad, we need to ask ourselves, are we getting mad because of a wrong done to us? Or are we getting mad because of a wrong done to somebody else? Abraham Lincoln, when he first saw the slave trade, he said, you know, I'm going to hit this one day. And one day he issued the Emancipation Proclamation. And that was one of the greatest documents in the history of the world. And then anger is constructive when it ignites the conscience for good. Anger is not always the opposite of love. Sometimes anger is love's clearest expression. Sometimes things cannot be corrected unless somebody gets angry enough to make the change. That's when some things are affected. Hospital conditions were horrible until Florence Nightingale got mad. On December the 1st, 1955, 
an African-American woman named Rosa Parks got on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. She said she never intended for this to be anything but a trip home. She said in her book, she just thought she was going home. She didn't realize it would be a historic event. But she knew that God would meet her needs when she got into a stressful situation. She said she knew it was time for somebody to stand up. In her case, sit down. But she knew that God would be with her. And so this is what happened. The bus driver asked her to move to give up her seat for a white gentleman. She refused. She continued to sit. And the result of that was that the Supreme Court ruled unconstitutional segregation. Now, Rosa Parks never said that she started the revolution, but it was the fact that she got mad enough to remain seated that enabled that revolution to take place. When we get mad as Christians, we need to be sure that our angriness comes out of love and that our angriness is directed to circumstances and not to people. There was a United Methodist preacher named Ross Mars. He said that his father would get after him when he was a teenager, saying that you're being led astray by the people you associate with. And so one day his father said, tell me your name. He said, Ross. He said, no, your last name. What is your last name? He said, Mars. The father said, spell it. He said, M-A-R-R-S. He said, does that sound like to you Jones or Williams or Altizer? He said, no. And here is the lesson. He said, then, if that doesn't sound that way, then you're not one of them, and you're expected to act differently. Dear listener, tell me who you are. You say, I'm a Christian. I say, spell it, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. Does that sound like somebody that's a non-Christian? Does that sound like somebody outside the kingdom's enterprise? Beloved, because we are Christians, we ought to be different, and our anger should be constructive. Let us pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for your presence. Thank you that when we get angry, and all of us tend to get this way, that we can be alert as to what kind of anger we have. We know that in some sense our temper is a normal part of our lives, but we also know that our tempers can cause sin and friction and discord. We pray, oh God, you'd help us to distinguish the difference and that you'd help us always to let Jesus Christ be our example as to how we live and what we say and what we do. Hear our prayers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us tonight, and I pray that you'll have a, a good week and that God will bless you and keep you and give you the sense of peace that only he can give. Amen.
Heart and soul are praising 